Uh, my reading is from John 18, starting at verse 28, uh, and it's on page 1085 in the Blue Bibles. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace, because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside to the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is this your own idea? asked Jesus. Or did the others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to, to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back to him, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Okay, hi everyone. Thank you very much. It's lovely to hear that reply. And I think they're getting my uh, thing sorted out here. So, um... Now, thank you for having us this weekend, uh, and thank you to the Sams for their hospitality uh, in their house. Um, so, and I'm sorry to come on such a bad weekend for Adelaide with the Crows losing to the Sydney Swans. I, 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 feel, I feel quite hurt for you about that. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but there is a Swans fan there, so... All right, so um, what is truth, right? That's one of the questions that uh, philosophers have been debating for centuries and centuries. Um, some people spend their whole lives wrestling with uh, the answer to that question. Um, and a lot of people struggle to come up with a satisfying answer to the question. Now, on the night before Jesus died, as I mentioned just earlier, Jesus says, I am the truth. Uh, and uh, he's about to go to the, his crucifixion uh, and three days later rise again. But he says, I am the truth. What did he mean by that claim? Uh, and then a few hours later, he stood before Pontius Pilate. Uh, and he was on trial before Pontius Pilate. And he said, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate responded with that famous line, what is truth? Um, and over the... Last week, this week, and next week at Trinity Grove, uh, you're asking the community questions about Jesus. Uh, who is Jesus? How would you fill in the blank? Jesus is. 
uh, and what would you say? And so I saw the, the, the advertising out the front and it looks fantastic. Uh, and this morning the question is, Jesus is the truth, is that really true and what does it mean? So that's what we're going to be wrestling with. And to help us do that, I want to use some characters from literature and movies and TV over the last 300 years. So I know TV's only been around for part of that time, but here's my first character. Does anyone recognise her? Uh, Elizabeth Bennett, yeah, from, from, from Pride and Prejudice, yeah. Uh, who was her love, the love of her life? Mr. Darcy, well done. Um, so, so this, the character Elizabeth Bennet grew up in the 18th century, a um, couple of hundred years ago, an era where if you ask people the question, what is truth, what answer do you think they would have come up with? What is truth in, in, that, in that age? Let me give you the answer. And then, uh, you know, as we keep going on, you can keep guessing. But uh, uh, the most common answer would have been, let's have a look. Truth is handed down, right? Truth is handed down. Um, this is an era of strong traditions. You were born into a particular class of society. Religion played a strong role in your life. You believe in God because that's tr that tradition that's been handed down by your parents and grandparents and, and you don't even know necessarily where it came into your family but you just accept the way things are, you accept the authority structures without bucking against them. Now I know Elizabeth Bennet was pushing the boundaries but that was society into which she entered. This is what sociologists call the modern era, the pre-modern era, um, up on the screen. Now. A lot of people today would say, when they look at Christianity and religion in general, a lot of people would say that Christianity is a product of pre-modern thinking. Uh, you're a Christian because you're born a Christian. You were baptised as a baby into your parents' religion, so you don't challenge it, you, just, you don't question it, you just accept it. And, and I've got to admit, some Christians do live like that. They don't think into what they believe. It's just, I was born a Christian... So that's who I am. But it's interesting, when you read the, the historical accounts of Jesus, Jesus really opposed that way of thinking. In Jesus' day, you had a whole bunch of religious leaders who passed on religious tradition from one generation to the next. And over time, what they did is they kept on adding extra rituals, extra traditions. Uh, and I want you to have a look at that quote in your outlines. I've got a number of quotes there, but this quote is Mark chapter 7, verse 8, where Jesus says to the religious leaders of his day, you have let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to human traditions. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Now, I reckon you get that happening today a lot. Uh, you enter a church and there are choirs and stained glass windows and ritual. No, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a choir or a stained glass window, but sometimes all the trappings and traditions and rituals so overwhelm the message that Jesus gets lost, he crowded out amongst all the religious traditions and rituals that are going on. And I think Jesus would say this same thing in a lot of churches he stepped into today. And that is you have this fine way of setting aside the word of God in order to follow your 
religious traditions. Now, one of the goals here at this church at Trinity Grove, just as at our church on the Central Coast, is we want to strip back a lot of those traditions and rituals and get to the heart of Jesus, who he was and what he actually said and what does the Bible say, um, rather than having it all junked up by centuries of like barnacles maybe or just things that have been added over time. So I want to say, despite what some people think, Christianity ought not be just a product of the pre-modern world. It's not just something that's handed down blindly accepted by the next generation. So come on to our next person. Do you recognise this man? Well, th- who said that? There, are, there you go. Now, can I just ask, this, this hurts me to ask you, does anyone not recognise this person? Okay, so <laughs> notice their ages. Does anyone under... Does anyone over 40 not recognise this person? Okay, so there you go. So it's, a, it's an age thing. Um, so let me, let me, um, let me just um, put you in the picture. This is how the show started, right? Flightcom. I can't hold it. She's breaking up. She's breaking up. Steve Austin, astronaut, a man barely alive. We can rebuild him. We have the technology. We can make him better than he was. Better, stronger, faster. Boop, boop, boop. And it's a heartbeat, right? Uh, so there, there's how it started. And then the, the, the theme song would kick off. And uh, Steve Austin is the $6 million man. And there he is. Um, and so it sort of, sort of uh, wounds my heart a little bit to know that there's a generation of Australians growing up. <laughs> Who have never? Have you ever seen an episode of this, Sarah? My, my own daughter has never seen an episode of the Six Million Dollar Man, um, and I must admit I haven't watched an episode for about thirty years. So I imagine it looks a bit dated now. But thirty years ago, you, we couldn't wait to see the next episode and what would happen. Uh, and six million. <laughs> sorry, I'm. <laughs> six million dollars is funny, isn't it? I, because it, it, it's a lot in today's world, but it's, it, it, back then it was like, whoa, someone spends $6 million, this is some heavy-duty technology going on. That's the amount that was required to build the, the world's first bionic man. So Steve Austin represents the height of the modern era, a product of the mid-20th century. This is the era where traditions were challenged. Um, I'm not just a product of my parents and their beliefs anymore. I'm going to test and challenge everything. So modernism is an era of revolution. Uh, In fact, a lot of people would say the French Revolution was part of the the kicking off of the modern era. Uh, It was revolution against the church and religious oppression, revolution against aristocracy, uh, of social structure, Um, And many other political and social revolutions followed, hey? So like the sexual revolution where we say, why do we just accept the morality of former generations? We can do whatever we want with our bodies and our sexuality. Um, Modernism was accompanied by great advances in science. So you had people like Charles Darwin and the evolutionary theory explaining the mysteries of life so completely that many people came to the conclusion we no longer need God. Um, so God is done away with. In fact, 1965, the Time magazine runs this cover, uh, Is God Dead? 
In the age of modernism, human reason rules and the idea is encapsulated in the $6 million man. Right? We are so clever that we can improve on nature better, stronger, faster. Uh, it is the triumph of humanity. So how would the modernist person answer the question, what is truth? What do you reckon? What we want to believe? I, I push it a little bit further than that. What, what science says, yeah. So I th we're going to get on to what you just said in a moment. But what science says, um, or I've put it up, uh, what I can test and prove. Right? And I actually want to see empirical evidence for it or I will not believe. Uh, so they want to test everything, even the claims of religion. Now it is interesting, one of Jesus' followers was a bit of a modern sceptic. Uh, his name was Thomas. Um, so on the night Jesus rose again, uh, when he's appearing to his disciples, and Thomas hears of these reports of Jesus rising from the dead, uh, he said, no, I'm not gonna I cannot believe unless I see it for myself with my own eyes. Uh, so you see the quotes there from John chapter 20. Verse 25, the other disciples told Thomas, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I need proof. Um, now, what happened then is that Jesus did you know, show him his hands and his side and he said, put your hand here, it is I. And Thomas came to be utterly persuaded. Jesus is risen bodily from the dead. But what about us, right? Um, we don't have access to Jesus, the risen Jesus, in the same way that Thomas did. So I can't produce him for you and I can't get you to touch his hands and his side. How are we expected to believe 2,000 years on? I want you to have a look at those verses a few verses later, right? So it's only in the same little account in John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Jesus' disciples wrote eyewitness testimony uh, of what they had seen and heard and done with Jesus. And their goal was not just to tell a story, but their goal was to lay before us the evidence uh, of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Um, so whilst we may not be able to put Jesus in a test tube and examine him in a way scientists would in a laboratory, we do have access to eyewitness historical accounts that we can examine for ourselves. And they were written specifically to persuade us that Jesus is God's son, the king who died and rose again from the dead. Now this, this, course, uh, this church runs a course, Connect, and it's starting in just a few weeks' time. And, and that's a great way of actually going, I'm going to wrestle with some of these things for myself. Uh, you may already be a Christian, but you want to get some good foundations for what you believe, or you may not be a Christian and you think, yeah, I want to actually go and test and check some of this evidence out for myself. Uh, and so I really want to encourage you to uh, hook into that course in, in a few weeks' time. Uh, to test and see whether it's true. 
Have a look at the third picture, and surely everyone recognises this. Please. Uh, I know it's still 15 years old or so, but surely... Um, so what's this show? Seinfeld. Um, and what Seinfeld is a show about nothing. Yeah, well done. <laughs> uh, so... And so that's actually the, the catchphrase, right? it's the show about nothing. Um, this show was all about these four friends who would get together in the coffee shop or Jerry's apartment or, uh, and they'd passionately argue about completely trivial stuff. Like, when does dating actually kick over and become a relationship? Uh, when you scratch your nose, at what point does it qualify as, as picking your nose? And so how far do you, or when, when someone's, anyway, I won't go into all the trivial details. Uh, you know, how long can you look at a woman with a plunging neckline? And, and Jerry says, it's like looking at the sun. You've just got to glance and look away. And, and, they, and they have, and they just obsess about all these details of life. This is postmodernism. Um, see, with, with, hum, with modernism, human reason had promised so much, but failed to deliver. Uh, it is interesting, the 20th century is the most brutal century in human history. And all the horrific tyrants of last century were atheists. Hitler, Pol Pot, Mussolini, Mao Zedong, Stalin. Uh, the great coming of age of humanity didn't happen, even though humanity felt like we had all the technology to do it, better, stronger, faster, that great dawn of the triumph of humanity didn't take place. And for many people, human reason has fallen from the throne. And there are no absolutes anymore. Everyone has their own perspective. Everyone has their own opinion. And every opinion is just as valid as the next person's, yeah? Uh, so what is truth for the postmodernist? You said something quite... I don't know if you remember what you said. <laughs> What we choose to believe, that, that captures it pretty well, doesn't it? Um, I, I've put this, the truth is up for grabs. Right? Uh, and, and so it's the same sort of idea. What, whatever you choose to believe, you choose your own truth. Uh, and truth is relative. What's true for you may not be true for me. And we no longer talk about the big questions in life because we've lost confidence that there are any answers. And so instead of talking about the big questions in life, life has become incredibly superficial, like just a long-running episode of Seinfeld, uh, where we obsess with looks and fashion and image. Our society is big on style and very light on substance. Isn't that true? Uh, it's just a product of the postmodern era. Postmodernism has rejected this modernist idea that human reason rules, but it still carries on the assumption that God is dead. Or at least, God is completely irrelevant to my life. Uh, so I, I reckon if you went and uh, surveyed the local community here, you'd find that most people believe in God. Um, do you have any ideas on this, Mike? Yeah, most people would say, yes, I believe in God. Um, but I would say for most people, God has become irrelevant uh, and they just get on with living life without God. Uh, people live as if God is dead. So there's a campaign in England recently, you, you might have um, seen this, but um, this was um, 
is that Dawkins there? Um, and the buses um, were plastered with this sign, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Uh, and that was the philosophy that they were trying to spread around England. It's, it's ironic because the Apostle Paul in the Bible said something very similar to that. So I want you to have a look at the last quote in your outline. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I've just taken a few snippets from that whole section. So I want to recommend you go back uh, and read that whole section. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If the dead are not raised, well, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Notice in the quote, there is this constant refrain, if, right? Uh, and it's a big if, isn't it? If Christ has not been raised, if only for this life, if the dead are not raised. And Paul's whole point in this chapter is, he is utterly convinced the dead are raised, that Christ was raised, that there is something that lies beyond this life, that the, something that lies beyond death. Uh, and Paul was convinced because he and 500 others had seen the risen Jesus with their own eyes. And they had felt him and touched him. Uh, and they were utterly convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. And it was a truth that they were willing to die for. In fact, many of them did die. All they would have had to do was put up their hand and say, look, no, we made it up. But so many, I think 11, 10, or 10 out of Jesus' 12 disciples died because of their conviction that Jesus rose again from the dead. And all they would have had to say is, no, we were just making it up. But they were utterly persuaded. Um, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you could say, stop worrying and just enjoy life life would become like a Seinfeld episode. Imagine being in a stuck in a Seinfeld episode for your whole life. No certainty on the big issues of life, so we become obsessed on the trivial details of life. And I'm sure you can think of friends and even family who are in that position, stuck on the style and missing out on any substantial meaning to what life is about. Now, there are dozens of people here in this room and millions of people throughout the world who have looked into the evidence and, like Paul, they are persuaded that Jesus did rise from the dead, not just because that's what's been handed down to them from their forefathers, but because they've actually taken the time to grapple with the historical evidence for themselves. Uh, that there is a resurrection day coming, a day when each one of us will stand before God and give an account. And once again, I want to recommend this course. Um, come and ask. Look, Mike's up for any questions you have for him. So you say, persuade me that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, he's, what he's going to do is he's, not going to, he's going to take you to the Bible and he's going to take you to some of the ancient documents uh, about Jesus. Um, but that has to be the critical question to answer. If, and that's what Paul's saying here in this passage. If Jesus rose from the dead bodily, it changes everything. So that is, a, that is a historical fact worth examining closely. Um, 
And that brings us on to the final picture. Um, anyone recognise him? Ned Flanders. Now, why have I got Ned Flanders up on the screen? Uh, Ned is Homer Simpson's neighbour on the Simps on TV show Simpsons, and Ned is a Christian. Uh, in fact, and the reason I chose him is because he's probably the most prominent and famous Christian on TV today, uh, which just reminds me just how few Christians are out there in, on our TV screens. Uh, but here is Ned Flanders. He's a nice guy. It fits my experience, right? So most Christians I know are nice guys. They don't all dress like Ned. Um, you know, just take a look around. Many of the people here are Christians, and they're fairly diverse-looking bunch, aren't they? Um, you know, and some are good-looking, and some, you know, not so... You know, but I'm, I'm not... A, <laughs> you know, and different... Anyway, a whole lot of differences. That's all I'm trying to say. Um, now, Christianity is a fourth way of thinking about the truth. So how does a Christian fill in the blank? Um, well, a Christian is not like the pre-modern person, right? I want to reinforce this. We do not believe that truth is merely handed down. Yes, it is. You know, we, we want our children to come to believe the things we believe, but we don't just believe because that's the tradition that's been handed down. We want to be persuaded of the truth ourselves because Christianity completely lacks power and influence if it's just something that you ha was handed down. But if, something, if it's something you embrace and become persuaded of, then it's actually a powerful force of change in our lives. So we agree with the modernist. You can't just accept without thinking. Things ought to be tested. But we also agree with the postmodernist to say it's a mistake to think that we can arrive at all truth through scientific inquiry. There is actually more to life and truth than what you can prove in a science laboratory. Now, the big objection we have with modernism and postmodernism is their rejection of God. We think that that whole rejection of God was done in an ill-informed way for, mo for, for most people. Most people have dismissed God without ever taking the time to look into the evidence for themselves. And for me, that is an utter tragedy because there is so much at stake in this. Um, so what is the truth for a Christian? Truth is found in Jesus. Um, by that, we don't mean that Jesus is the only way to discover truth about anything. But Jesus is the key to knowing the truth about certain big questions of life. And you think about the big questions of life. Uh, what, what is my purpose in life? What am I here for? Uh, how do you discover an answer to that question? Uh, who is God? How can I be right with God? Um, what happens after you die? Science can't deliver you the answer on any of those questions. Um, but Jesus is the place you go to to actually discover the answer to all those questions. Um, I don't know if any of you are fans of John Cleese, but I saw a, a video of John Cleese recently. I think he's hilarious, but in this video, he was really critiquing just how superficial our society and our world has become and how we've lost any concern about the big questions in life. And he's not a Christian, but what he says is this. He says, the only question that really matters is this. 
is there an afterlife? Uh, and he said, that is the big question. He said, I think, so, I think something happens, I just don't know what it is. Uh, and he's committed himself to finding out, to actually investigating and working out what happens after you die. Now, I, I hope and pray he, he comes to discover that the truth about those things is found in Jesus. That's what we Christians believe. The truth to all the big questions of life that our heart yearns to know the answer to, they are found in Jesus. Uh, and that's, what the, that's the claim Jesus was making when he said, I am the truth. So come back. I'm, I'm going to wrap up. So those four pictures, which best represents how you think about truth? Are you a traditionalist, like the era of Elizabeth Bennet? That, you know, that truth is handed down. Do you simply accept whatever the previous generation handed down without giving it too much thought? Um, if that's you, I want to encourage you to, to grapple more and to dig into what you believe because merely having something handed down won't sustain you through the tough times of life. You actually want to ground what you believe in personal conviction. Um, are you a modern, right, the era of Steve Austin? Uh, truth is only what you can test and prove. Um, are you confident in science but sceptical about God? And for you, I want to challenge you that there are more questions that demand an answer than science can deliver an answer to. There's actually some big questions that science will utterly fail to answer for you. Or are you a postmodern like Seinfeld? Truth is up for grabs. Have you lost confidence about the big issues and become obsessed about the little things in life? Uh, and just more and more people are living lives like that. Or are you a Christian like Ned Flanders? Do you believe that truth is found in Jesus? Um, questions like, what is the big purpose of life? What happens after you die? Now, I, what I want to just point out is it all hangs on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right? If, you, if, if you can come to a point where you go, yes, I'm persuaded that Jesus lived and died and rose again, that unlocks the truth about all those big questions. He holds the answer, and I just want to urge you, have you taken the time as an adult to investigate the claims of Jesus? Um, now, I'm going to hand over to Mike in just a sec. Do you want me to lead in prayer, Mike? Yep, I'm going to pray, and then we'll hand over to Mike. Let's pray. Oh, God, our Father, uh, we do pray that you will make yourself known to everyone in this room. Uh, and we pray that you'll make yourself known to the people of our community. Father, we pray that we will not be a people who, get, who obsess about the trivialities of life, the things we all know are unimportant, um, but the things that so many people seem to be chasing after. Father, we pray that we will grapple with big questions like what is my purpose in life and who is God? And, and we pray in your kindness you will reveal the answer to those questions. We pray especially for any here who are uncertain that you will uh, give them a desire to find the answers and that you will reveal yourself to them as they become persuaded in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. 
Uh, and we pray that as, as they do and as we find those things out, we pray that it will give us a real sense of purpose and meaning and hope uh, as we look not only to death but what lies beyond and your promises of eternal life. Amen. Thanks, Jeff.